are glad you're with us. It's been since Easter that we've been going through this. This changes everything. And as we've looked at the fact that this changes everything, we started off with the resurrection and talking about Easter and how the resurrection changes our lives and it changes who we are and it changes our past, it changes our present, it changes our future, and most certainly it changes our eternity. And as I've looked at that and as we've had a chance to discuss that, the first thing we talked about after Easter was how it changed our past. We looked at the fact that God pours out his grace on us. And as he pours out his grace on us, it, it allows us to, to take the baggage that we have, the things that we have, the, the, um, all the things that people have said to us, all the things that, that we've done or haven't done, and we get to lay that at Jesus' feet. And he says, you know, if you are carrying this heavy burden, lay it at my feet, give it to me, give it over, stop carrying it. And that's how he changes our past. Then we looked last week at how he changes our present, about how we need to be present, how we need to realize that we don't focus on the past, we don't have to focus on the future, we need to focus on the right now. And how often we miss the right now because we're so busy, so busy um, looking ahead to what's getting ready to come, or so busy and focused on what's in the rearview mirror that we miss today. We said what we need to do is we just need to rest. We just need to take time and seek Jesus to sit at his feet, hear what he has to say, to allow him to change our perspective, to allow him to change that day, change the way we see people, change the way we see situations, change the way that, that we are in, in the present. This week, we're going to be talking about the future. And what I'd really like to do is I'd like to have one of those really cool voice box things where you step on the pedal that makes your voice go, the future, 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 and be really, because it's just thinking about the future, it just kind of wraps our head up in going, Whoa, it's a little scary. Because when you really think about the future, we get a little bit scared. We have this tendency to fear what we don't know. We have a tendency to fear the things we don't understand that, that we can't control. And I think about some of the things and in, in, uh, what we're afraid of, and, and I, I would say that we're a fearful people. And I think the reason why we're a fearful people is, isn't because we were born that way. But it's because of the things that we've absorbed. Do you realize that when a child is born, that we only have two natural fears? The two natural fears are that of loud noises and that of falling. That's it. That's the only thing kids are afraid of. Everything else that we're afraid of, we take on ourselves, whether through things that have happened in our past, things that we've done in our past, things that we've seen, things that people have done to us, whatever it might be, we, we accumulate these fears. And as we accumulate these fears, uh, it, it begins to build up. Do you realize there is 530 diagnosed known phobias in the world? And of those 530 diagnosed known phobias. I started kind of looking through them. I wasn't going to read them all, but most of them that I saw had to do with really five things in common. And even those five things in common, they kind of tied themselves all together with the one thing that we're going to talk about today, and that's the future. And as we look at that, and as we dive into it, we have these different fears that, that allow us or don't allow us. They paralyze us. They hold us together and keep us in a, in a safe spot, or at least what we think is a safe spot, a spot that we can control. And I think about, well, I think about the horns being blown next door. That's what I really think about right now. I'm not sure if you can hear them. They're doing the Battle of Jericho. And uh, I just, this is a total side note. I got just sidetracked, and that's what happens in my life. But uh, um, the, they did the Battle of Jericho, and the kids came out after service, and they were running around the building. And I'm like, stop at six. Okay, please just stop at six. Because um, I, I can't deal with whatever we need to deal with if the walls all fall down here. Um, but, uh, you know, a fear for the future, right? But the, uh, 
the thing is, is I, I thought about our, our verse that we've been kind of tied into all of these, this changes everything. The fact that Jesus came to give us life. That he came to give us life abundantly. And in the process of giving us life abundantly, the thief also came to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I think about the fears that we take on ourselves. I think about the things that we worry about, the, the anxiety we have for the future. Does that allow life to be abundant? Does that allow life to be full? Or does it rob that from us? Is that from the thief? And as I think about that, and as I look at that, this week I was trying to figure out what should we talk about with the future in regards to the future. And this one passage just kept popping into my head over and over and over again. It's found in Proverbs chapter 3. And in Proverbs chapter 3, it's verses 5 through 8. And, and maybe you've heard these before. Uh, there's songs that have been sung about them. There's, there's hymns that have been written with them. This is what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And I think about that, and I think the, even those last two phrases, to have healing in your flesh and refreshment to your bones, how often do we say that our fear brings those two things? But why do we fear? What is it that we fear? See, it says in that passage also to fear the Lord. Then that's a healthy fear of reverence of who he is and those things. But is that what we fear? Do we fear the Lord? Do we trust in him? Or do we fear our own understanding, which is very limited, by the way? I mean, as we look at that, as we think about that, and we look towards our future, these fears overwhelm us. And I want to look at, uh, I told you there's 530 phobias, but there's five that seem to be very common that we have. And once again, I think they all tie together with the last one I'm going to talk about. But I want to talk about these five fears, and the first fear is this, it's a fear of loss. I think as we look towards the future, as we look at our life currently right now, isn't that a fear that we have, a, a fear of, of losing something, a fear of losing someone, a fear of, if you're married, losing your spouse. If you have kids, losing your kids. I'm telling you, there's, there's just a little bit of fear inside of me right now that Camden is flying in a glider down in Socorro. Yeah, Rick, you laugh. You know my son. I, I, I was, Christy's like, what if? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that what if. Isn't that what we do often, though? We throw out the what ifs in there. There's a fear of loss of our jobs. There's a fear of loss of our financial security. There's a fear of loss of whatever it might be. We have this. And generally, those fears, have they come true yet? I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> Is there a fear that... that comes true because we're afraid of it? Is there something that we look towards in the future and say, yep, that's absolutely going to happen? No, but we worry about it. Keep it up. Come on, come on. But the, the thing is, is we look at this fear of losing something. The second fear that we have is this, is fear of not just loss, but losing control. And we've lost control. But there's a fear of losing control. There's a fear of, of not feeling comfortable, of, of knowing. I'm a planner. I don't know about you, but I'm a planner. And if I can't have the plan in place, I feel out of control. And we fear that. We fear not having control. The third common fear I think most of us battle, battle is the fear of failure. 
And that, once again, is one for the future. That, once again, is one that that we feel that we could be possibly inadequate. Something along the lines that I have put all of my life into, all of my hope into, all of my effort into, and it creates this, oh, failure. And we're afraid of that. So what we do is we kind of back ourselves into a corner and don't go outside of the norm. The fourth one, I think, is a fear of rejection. We're afraid of what somebody else might think. We're afraid of what a group might do. We can do it with our our hairstyles. We can do it with our clothing. We can do it with our car we can drive. We can do it with the, the house that we live in. We're afraid of rejection that people won't think we're important enough for whatever reason. And the funny thing about those four fears is they all tie into this fifth fear. And it's the one we're going to talk about today. The fear of the future. The fear of the unknown. Because if we don't know it, we don't have control. If we don't know it, we're not sure if we're going to lose something. If we don't know it, we don't know if we're going to be rejected. We don't know these things. And that stinks. I want to know. I want to know what's next. I hate the fact that the Bible tells us in Psalm 119 that God's word will be a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. It's not an LED bar that is shining a mile ahead. It is merely shining what's on the next step. I don't like that because I want to know what's a mile ahead. I want to know that it's clear. I want to know what I'm getting myself into. Are you the same? I would venture to say yes. Because we want that control. We want those things. We want to stay in our safe zone. We're afraid of what is next. Yet 2 Timothy 1.7 is very clear when it says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear. Not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So where does it come from? Why do we hold on to it? If the God, our Father, the source of all, the ever-present, all-loving God has not given us a spirit of fear, why do we hold on to it? Why do we let it consume us? Why do we let it paralyze us? You know, one of the fears in, in that big, long list of the 530 phobias is agoraphobia, and agoraphobia is a fear of leaving your house. It's a fear of being present with other people. I can't even imagine how paralyzing that is, yet we have a spiritual fear in that same way that we're afraid of leaving our comfort zone, a fear of reaching out to other people, to being outside of our norm, to being out into that public area, whatever it might be, and being what God's called us to be. Fear is not from God, so we need to quit living in fear. Fear is something that many people, I've heard pastors say it, is the opposite of faith. I disagree. I don't believe it's the opposite of faith. You know what I think it is? By definition, I think it's putting faith in the what-ifs. I think it's putting faith in the things that we cannot control. I think it's, what if something bad happens? How many times have you ever heard of somebody saying, what if something good happens, other than when they're playing the lottery? We don't, we don't say that, but we do worry about what if something bad happens, and we let that fear paralyze us. I actually heard an acronym for fear when I was young. It said this, false evidence appearing real. Do you realize how many things that we worry about never come true? Studies say eight out of ten things that we worry about never come true. 
Eight out of ten. Never even happened. But yet we will devote our time and our energy and our effort to worrying about it. And God says, don't fear. We struggle with that. Guess what? People throughout the Bible struggle with that. God himself would come down time and time and time again, and he would give a command to people, do this. And their immediate answer would be, what if? They would be afraid. And God would say what in response? Fear not. Do not be afraid. I said this last night, and I'm not even 100% sure if it's the correct way to say it, but it's the most commanded command. Is that how you say it? It's the most said command. I don't know. I, I assume if it's a command, it's been commanded. So it's the most commanded command in the Bible. Over 100 times we're told to fear not. Over a hundred times, more than anything else, it was the most commanded command there is out there. To fear not. To not be afraid. Yet we look throughout that people are. Look at Moses. I mean, we can go back to the Old Testament and see his fear. See, many of us know the story of Moses. Many of us know that he was out walking in the wilderness and came across a bush that was on fire but not being consumed. And a voice came from that bush. Let me just ask you, would that get your attention? I think it would. We have lots of bushes. There's lots of desert. Imagine you're out walking one day and all of a sudden, Matt. That just, yep, it did. I think I'm going to trust it. I think I'm going to go, okay. And he says, this is God. I've got to take off my shoes. I'm in a holy place. I got this. God's speaking to Moses. And he said, hey, you're going to free my people from Israel. He says, you're going to be the one that goes in. And I want you to talk to Pharaoh. And I want you to tell him exactly who sent you. And guess how Moses responds. We're talking, he's talking to God face to face or bush to face, whatever it might be. And he's got that right there. He hears the voice. He hears what God's saying. And this is how he responds in Exodus 4.1. What if? He literally says, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say that the Lord did not appear to you? What if? God is talking to him. We can say, Moses, what's wrong with you? How did you miss it? And yet we look at our own lives and we see how God has spoken to us and we see how God has related to us and how he's called us to do something maybe outside of our comfort zone, probably outside of our comfort zone because really he say, hey, hang out in the boat and enjoy it. He says, get out of your comfort zone. And our first response, what if? What if? What if, God, what if this were to happen? What if that were to happen? What if my kids get hurt? What if I lose my health? What if I never get married? What if I can't have kids? What if I have too many kids? What if? What if? These are things we battle with all the time. Fear is placing faith in our what ifs. And I want you to pause and ask yourself a question right here, right now. That is this. Why do your what-ifs matter? Why do your what-ifs matter? What is it that they hold on to and hold over you to make them matter? They may not be the best reasons, but I think I can come up with two. The first one is this. Your what-ifs matter because what you fear reveals what you value the most. If your what-if is about your marriage... And will something happen to my spouse or will something happen within my marriage? Well, obviously, it means you value it. And guess what? That's not a bad thing. 
If your what ifs have to do with your kids and you're worried about the what if of what if something happens to them? What if they get sick? What if? Well, guess what? Once again, that says that you value your kids. And in the process of valuing kids, that is not a bad thing. If it's even financial security, the what if that is there, it doesn't make it a bad thing to want to be secure. So it reveals what we value the most. But the second reason I believe we hold on to those what ifs and make the what ifs matter is the flip side of that coin. And the flip side of that coin says this, the what ifs show what I value the most, but the what ifs also show where I trust God the least. And I know that's not, it's easier to hear the first one than it is the second one. Because we want to say we trust God. As a matter of fact, when we look at Proverbs chapter 3, and it says, trust God with all of your heart. Guess what all means? Anybody? Oh, yeah, there you go. It's all. It's everything. But we say, well, I'll trust God here, but I can't trust God here. I can trust the what ifs, but I can't trust God. And he says, trust me with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Stop Putting all your weight, that's what it means to lean on, to put all your weight into your own understanding, because guess what? You're not that smart. I'm not that smart. And he says, don't lean on it. Continue to follow after me, to chase after me, because if we're putting our what-ifs into our marriage, and that shows that we value it the most, but when we ask the question, what if, what about this, God? Do you not think that God is big enough to control that? Same thing with our kids. Do you think that God is not big enough? That his hands are not big enough to hold your kids up? What about your finances? Do you think that God is unable to provide? That somehow in our worrying, that somehow in our fear, that somehow in our anxiety, that that is going to help propel everything and make it better? Or when we trust in God, we sit at his feet and we We lay down our things to him and say, God, I put my trust in you. Now, here's a question for you. As we talk about trust, as we talk about not putting our full trust or where we trust God the least, I got to fill in the blank. I'm not trusting God with what? What is it for you? Because every single one of us in this room is different. Every single one of us walk in and, and we have dealt with something completely different all week long. We had, a, we had a family that came in last night. They were visiting for the first time and uh, they happened to own a shop and their shop isn't doing very well. And as they were leaving, they said, this could not have been a more timely message. Well, that wasn't what I was thinking about when I was writing it. Honestly, I was thinking about something for myself. Because you might put in my children. You might put in my marriage. You might put in my job. Let me just tell you what mine is. Mine's my future. My future. And I look at my future, and I'm not worried about if something bad happens. That's not where it is. You know what I'm worried about with my future? I've already told you. It's the fact that it's wide open, and I don't know where it goes. I really don't. I would like to say that I have a plan that I'm going to stick to, but let me tell you something. It'll be 14 years in June that I moved to New Mexico. You know what was never in my plans? To live in New Mexico. Some of you in this room have that exact same feeling. As a matter of fact, eight years into that, I said, all right, God, what's next? And he said, right here. And I'm like, 
It's just the natural response. But God has a plan. He knows exactly what he's doing. We have to trust him in that. We have to trust that he knows what he's doing, why he's doing it, and how he's doing it. I think about the future, and I think about what he's doing in my life. I can also tell you 14 years ago, I can also tell you five years ago, that I wouldn't have six kids. And three of them have Down syndrome, and three of them from the other countries. That, that would not have been in my overall plans. Now, we had talked about it a while ago, but I didn't think it was going to happen for a while. I thought I would be more financially secure. I thought I'd be blank. You know, all those things that we put in, well, I'll do it when. When I have trust in myself, when I'm leaning on my own understanding, that's when it's going to happen. You see, when we went and got in Dale and everything fell into place the way it did, it can only be said it was God. See, when we went to Ethiopia, when, we, when Christy set the picture of him down on my lap on July 27th of 2012, it was actually his, his birthday, his first birthday of all, all crazy, oh, sorry, 2013. And, and I look at that and I said, you know, I don't know. I, I, don't, think, I don't think we could do that. Christy already knew in her head that we were going to do it. But me, I had to pray about it. Because you know what I knew it was going to do? It was going to change the rest of my life. There's no when you're 18 and it, we have Down syndrome, and you're like, all right, go enjoy college, and the rest of your life, we'll see you later. That doesn't happen. But yet God continues to provide. You know what the other thing she laid down for me? She said, well, it's going to probably cost about $35,000. You know what we don't have laying around? $35,000. Now, you might be different than me, and if you are, we need to talk. But, the, the thing is, is, is that was what was in front of us. And it was these insurmountable odds that I knew we couldn't come up with. But God says, I have a plan. Trust in me. Same thing happened with Levi and Lily coming from China. Same thing. And she put Le- Lily's picture in front of me. I'm like, awesome. And she goes, how about a second one? And I went, we're going to be there, right? <laughs> Just bring another one home. She also laid another bill down in front of me that said, it's going to cost us about $55,000. And I went, what? Guess what I don't have laying around? I'll never have that laying around. Yet, God says, I have a plan. You know, one of our funny jokes that we had was, we're never going to go on vacation again. Ever. You know how much it costs to get into Disneyland? It's like $120 to get one park into one person. Well, when you have eight, I'm not sure if you can do the math, but that's like $900 just to get into the park, not anything else. You know what we don't have laying around once again? And we said, this is never going to happen. But crazy thing is, is God says, I have a plan. Trust in me. This summer, we get to go to Orlando. And the reason why we get to go to Orlando is because ARC, which is a, a Down Syndrome network, it's actually called the Association for Retarded Children, but they don't like to use the word retarded, so they just call themselves ARC. And they have put together a, a National Down Syndrome Congress that meets in Orlando this year. And while it meets in Orlando this year, it's going to cost like $900 just to get our family in the door. They covered all that for us. They're also covering six of our eight plane flights. They're covering our hotel room. They're covering all of these things because they like our story and they have scholarships available. And they said, we would like for you guys to be a part of the National Down Syndrome Congress. Remember when I said we were never going on vacation? 
Well, because we flew to China to get Lily and Levi, we have all these crazy points that we had to have for for using the car to buy our plane tickets and all that kind of stuff like that. So all these points are going to pay for the things that we can't pay for. So we're literally going to go to Florida for a week and be able to spend time in a hotel, and our kids are going to go to these camps that are part of it. All these things are getting taken care of. And you know who provided that? God. Because I couldn't. Because I couldn't trust in my own understanding. But I can trust in him. You know what scares me about the future? As I say, the future scares me. It's the fact that I don't know what's next. And how will I respond to what's next? What if God said, all right, it's time for you to go get another little boy, another little girl. We got room in our van because we got a 12 passenger. But beyond that, we don't have room in our house. We don't have room in our budget. All these things come to mind, and I start thinking about it. And actually, last night I told Christy, because I always practice my message with her. She said, hey, I just want to let you know that there's a, that's how it starts, by the way. She says, there's a little boy in California that's on the, uh, the waiting list. He's nine months old, has Down syndrome. This one's free. And I went, uh, uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to respond to that. I mean, in reality, you know, there's the what ifs. What if we bring another kid home? And in the process of bringing another kid home, that lessens how much attention I give to the six that we already have. Does that create an issue? I mean, all these what ifs. And I say, you know what, God, I trust you. But that's not easy. It's a fear that we have. And you know, Sometimes it paralyzes me to say, God, I don't know what's next. Sometimes it actually makes me steps back to God. I don't know what's next, so I'm just going to huddle in my little corner. I'm going to grab my blanket, and I'm going to suck my thumb, and this is where we're going to be at. I'm just going to chill out in my safe zone. I don't want to be challenged. How will I respond? I even think about it as our church, and you know, 18 months from now, actually 17 and a half months from now, our lease is up here. Where are we going next? I don't know. As a leader of the church, I'm not supposed to say that. I'm supposed to have a plan. I'm supposed to have everything in place. And everybody goes, yay, we rally around it and say, here's where we're going. Well, 18 months from now, a lot of things can change. What I do know is we're not going to buy land and we're not going to build a building. We have to figure out something else. The reason why is because you need money to do that. You know what we don't have a lot of? Extra funds just laying around. God has this weird thing about that, just not having extra funds laying around in my life. As a matter of fact, three weeks ago, three weeks ago, Brenda, who's our finance lady, came to me and said, man, I just want to let you know something. She goes, right now, uh, we have $786 in our checking account. And I said, what? She goes, yeah, all the bills are paid. However, we have $786 in our checking account. And I went, did you say like three figures? Because my goal when we started was to keep it above five, at least in the 10000 range. And most churches that I know have upwards of six, and sometimes seven in their checking account. And we have three. And I went home and I told Christy, because obviously this is a big part of my life. It's a big part of Jerome's life. And I said, hey, Chris, guess what? And her response was, well, what if? It's an immediate response. I said, well, what if is I need to start learning how to say, do you want fries with that? I mean, in all honesty, that, that, that's where it came down to. Do I believe God has a plan for our church? Absolutely. Do I start trusting my own understanding? Unfortunately, yes. Have things recovered from then? Yeah, they're, they're going up. They're back into four. But, 
What if? Do I trust God? Do you trust God? What's your blank? I'm not trusting God with what? What is your blank that you have in there? The first thing we, I think, need to do is in a what-to-do-next type of mentality is, is first is to acknowledge your fear. What is it that you're afraid of? What is it that, that you need to call out to God for? That, that's what we see happen in the life of David. Now, maybe you've heard of David before. He's in the Bible. He slew this big giant guy. In the process of that, he was anointed to be the next king of Israel. And in being the next king of Israel, they said, hey, you get to be it. Well, that made the current king not happy, King Saul. So King Saul's like, you know what? Uh, I'm not real happy about that, so uh, we all need to send all the resources of the entire kingdom to kill that one guy. And we know through the Bible, as we read it, we know what's already happened in it, but we say, oh, yeah, he ran. Let me just put this in perspective. Imagine Obama. President Obama doesn't like you. And he says, so much so I don't like you that we are going to send the entire military force that we have after you. We're going to kill you. We're going to do everything we can to eliminate you. Puts in a little bit different light for David, doesn't it? He didn't just run. And there's a lot going on. And we get a little peek into his life in Psalm 56 when he says this prayer. And he prays out to God and he says this in Psalm 56, chapter, uh, chapter 56, verse 1. He says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. Are you getting what's going on right here? All day long, all night long, everything's going wrong in his life. He has people that are just trying to pound him, trying to destroy him. We have that in our life sometimes. He says, for many attack me proudly. What's that mean? They're excited about it. They're getting it. All right. Get to kill David today. Yay. He's, he's not real happy about that. And he calls out the God. He says, God, be gracious to me. When I am afraid. In other words, when it's just too much for my understanding that I've tried to do, I just can't do anything else. What does he do? What's the next thing say? Sorry, what? I put my trust in you. I put my trust in you. By faith, I choose to put my trust in you. By, by, not by sight. I'm trusting no longer my own judgment. I'll stop being selfish. I'll stop being the one who's going to put my faith in my fears, but instead, I'm going to put my trust in you. Whenever I'm afraid, whatever situation that is, I'm going to acknowledge my fear, and I'm going to put my trust in you. Verse 4, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I shall not be afraid. Why be afraid? I trust in God. When I put my honest-to-goodness trust in Him, it changes my fears. The closer I am to Him, the further I am from my fears. I love this next question, though. What can flesh do to me? If you have the NIV version, it says, what can mortal man do to me? What can this world do to me? You want to answer that question? What could mortal man do to him? Well, they could imprison him. They could beat him. They could torture him. And guess what? Yep, they could kill him. That's what mortal man can do. Anybody else afraid of that? Now, we don't live in a country that has to worry too, too much about persecution. Someday, maybe. Someday sooner than we think, maybe. But when our trust is in God, doesn't it minimize the what-ifs? What if we get arrested for our faith? What if something happens? 
Is not our trust in God bigger than that? Is not God bigger than those things? I choose to put my trust in God. I choose to put my faith in him. David understood that this temporary life on earth was not nearly as big as the comparison of eternity with God and putting our trust in him. I want to challenge you to be real honest and acknowledge whatever it is. To give it over to God, to acknowledge it. I believe we need to replace the what ifs, what we don't know about the future, with what we do know about God. That's what we have to do. Easier said than done, yes, but that's what we have to do. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to do this. I want you to seek God. I want you to acknowledge your fear, and I want you to seek God. I want you to seek God, seek God, seek God. I want you to seek him in prayer. I want you to to seek him in his word. I want you to, to seek him and have other people pray for you. I want you to make him the thing. That's what we talked about last week, about being present, about being at his feet. See what David says in Psalm 34, 4? It says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Take a moment and let that soak in. All my fears. Once again, we already talked about for trusting God with all our heart. That means all. If he says, I sought God and he answered me, he took away all my fears. Well, what's that mean? All. Thank you. I got one answer. That's good. We got one person awake this morning. That's good. I'm getting awake. I hope that you are too. I took an energy drink. I'm good. Now, here's what it says. It says it took away all my fears. Doesn't that sound more like the John 10, 10 that we've read and we've talked about and we've had be a part of everything we do? That the thief comes to steal. The thief comes to kill. The thief comes to destroy. But Jesus, he came that we could have life to the fullest. That he came that we could have life abundantly. That he came that we could live. But fear doesn't let that happen. Fear, worry, anxiety, human reasoning, doubt, bitterness, anger, they rob us. They rob us of what God has for us in that full life. They rob us of what could possibly be next. Why is that? Well, I think it's actually answered in Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 through 34. You've probably heard this passage before, but maybe not in this light. Listen to what it says. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I think you can put fear, worry, anxiety, reasoning, resources in for the word money. You can't serve both. Funny thing is, is that fear and worry and anxiety and resources and reasoning all tend to revolve around money, don't they? And that kind of, I think that's why Jesus used money in that situation, because those are the things we worry the most about. Those are the things we have a hard time focusing on. And he says, you can't serve both. You can't be double-minded. As a matter of fact, if you flip over to James chapter 1, he actually talks about the man that is double-minded. One that, that wavers between two opinions. One that gets tossed back and forth by the waves. One that is unstable in all of his ways. That's the way he describes being a double-minded man. And I look at that and I think to myself, well, what are we supposed to do? How do we not? Well, the great thing is, is there's this therefore that pops up in verse 25. And if you've ever heard this before, forgive me for using it again. But anytime there's a therefore in the Bible, you need to figure out what it's there for. And the reason why it's there is because it's tying back into what Jesus said in verse 24. And he's basically saying, on the truth that I just stated, the fact that you cannot serve both masters, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, not about your body or what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Why does he say this? Because he says we're created to serve one master. 
We're created to serve one, yet we can tend to serve back and forth. We flip-flop. He says, you're supposed to be single-minded, not double-minded. Look at the birds of the air. They neither soar nor, uh, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you're not of more value than they. I'm sorry, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more be clothing you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But if we're going to be single-minded, what are we supposed to do? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Since we've been created and only have the capacity to seek one thing at a time, what are we supposed to do? How does Jesus answer it? He says, you can't serve two masters, but instead you should serve one. Which one do you choose to serve? Who do you choose to serve? Do you choose to seek first God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you? Now we can take that in a way. He's not saying everything that you want, but everything you need will be taken care of. Seek him first. Stop worrying. Stop putting the what if. I love the, the passage uh, in Matthew where Peter is in the boat and Jesus comes walking on the water and Peter is called out of the boat to walk on the water. Peter never says what if. Instead, he focuses on Jesus. He jumps out of the boat, and he walks on the water until what point? Until what point? Tell me. He sees the waves. He understands his fears. He stops focusing on Jesus, and he starts asking the what-if question, and that's when he sinks. Do you realize the time that he's focused on Jesus, that he is literally accomplishing the impossible? What can we accomplish if we don't focus on the waves? What can we accomplish if we only focus and seek first his kingdom? That is a question that we have. See, Satan wants you to be bound up in fear. Satan wants you to be tied up in your worry, in your anxiety. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. But God, he wants you to have life to the full. What needs to change to make that happen? What needs to change that as we look to the future that we can say, God has it. Even if I can't see it, God has it. It's in his hands. He is changing it in me. When Jesus came, he changed my past. When Jesus came, he changed my present. When Jesus came, he also changed my future. And next week, we're going to talk about the fact that he changed our eternity. I want you to hold on to that. I want to pray today that we will no longer be in the bondage of fear a bondage of what-ifs. Instead, that we might ask him that we can put our full trust in him, that we won't lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways that we will acknowledge him, that we will know him and understand him and truly believe and put our trust and our faith and our hope. See, if we had a word for the past, it was grace. If we had a word for present, it was rest. For today, it's faith and trust and hope. Can we do that? Can we put our faith and trust and hope that he holds the future? It's something I think we need to realize, something we need to pray, something we need to understand that he will make our path straight, that we run away from evil and instead run to him because the closer we get to him, the further away we get from our fears. That's my challenge for you today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you.
Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son who did change everything. And God, I, I want to confess that I fail to trust in you way more often than I should. I want to confess that I struggle leaning on my own understanding and not leaning on the truth that is you. I know you've got it all under control. But I like to drive. I like to be the one that's in control. I like to be the one that makes the plans. Yeah, we know that's not the case. Thank you for the constant reminder of that. Thank you for also the constant reminder of the way you provide when we do trust. I know there's people in here that have their own blank to fill in where they trust you at the least. I pray this morning that they see that. I pray this morning that you open their hearts and their minds to it and say, give it to me. Whether it be our kids or our marriage or our future or our job or where we're going to live next or whatever it might be. But God, first of all, we live in the present. We're here in this spot for a reason. And when we worry about the future, it takes our eyes off what you have us doing right now. And instead, we give you the future. We still plan, but we understand that our plans can change. That you can guide us and direct us in a way that we could never even understand. That we can't see the big picture, but you can. And I pray that for people this morning, whatever it might be, wherever they might be, that God, you speak to them. Help them know that you have the future. We pray it in your name. Amen. I don't know what you struggle with. I don't know where you're at. Like I said, every person in this room is different. I don't know what you're laying over to God. And maybe it's a time where you need to do it and sit down with him and say, I put my trust in you. But maybe you need somebody else to hold you accountable. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you in that and just say, I can't do it. I'm going to be down here in the front, and I would love to do that with you. So I'll be down here as we sing this last song. Yeah, this morning it's a bit cold. And I think about the cold simply being uh, the absence of heat. And there's no such thing as a cold. I mean, you can. It's not something tangible until you simply just remove a heat source. I think that fear is the same way. It's an absence of God, an absence of the presence of God is when we really start to fear. And it's the fear of the unknown. And um, we sang the the words to the song earlier, said, uh, your ways are high above our ways. It means that God has such a different perspective on things than we do. And just think for a second, uh, how many of us have been in the car driving and the passenger looks down the other down the other direction and says it's all clear and yet you don't trust it you go you go look yourself right because you don't trust the other person and that's just human to human and yet God has a perspective for the future and I think sometimes we're we want to look we want to see for ourselves instead of just trusting that he's got everything under control so in the song the stand part of the, the words are so what can I say and what can I do but offer this heart to you completely and 
that only happens after we simply recall, you know, that God spoke the earth into motion, that that He died on behalf of our sins, and that there's the Spirit of life within us. And when we voice those truths, what really can we say but offer ourselves completely over to God? So, if there's a trust issue, I pray that God helps uh, reveal that. And, and if you need prayer, then let's do it. But let's stand and let's uh, let's sing the stand, just with an attitude of remembrance of who our God is.